Thank you for joining our Transform 365 podcast, a discipleship and teaching ministry of SWCC. We pray this teaching helps you to grow in your journey with Christ. We have some great resources available for you on transform365.com webpage. Feel free to download discipleship materials, small group teaching, as well as peruse our training workshops. Also take time to visit www.swcc.org for videos, teaching, and more. We thank you for listening and your support, and we would love to hear from you. So use our contact page and drop us a line. Now, for our podcast teaching. that they're making in life, you can see how it develops their way, right? It, it develops their, their life. Um, me, as, as a kid, I, I'd chosen a pretty good path for most of my life until uh, I was a senior in high school and I got into trouble with the law. You know, I, I was arrested, um, you know, for grand theft and murder. No, I was arrested, <laughs> but I was arrested um, you know, as a kid, and, and that could have set me on a completely different path had I allowed myself to go that way, but if not for the Lord, right? If not for the Lord intervening in my life, I could be in a completely different way, in a different road, in a different path, in a different lifestyle, if not for decisions that would have to be made later on in my life of, I don't want this road of suffering anymore. Yes, it's leading to pleasures of life, I can drink and I can smoke and I can do all the different things that I want my entire life, but what does it profit a man to gain and lose his soul, right? Let's think about it. In the Bible, if we think about all the different choices that were made in the Bible, right and wrong, mostly wrong, I mean, the Bible is there to give us uh, examples in life, right? We could think about what were these people known for? Nadab and Abihu. What were they known for? Well, most of you are probably saying uh, for having really hard names to pronounce. But uh, Chuck Swindoll said, if you don't know how to pronounce something, you just sell it like you know it, right? Yeah, you say it louder so people think that, you know, you, you totally got it. Well, for those of you that don't know, they were Aaron's sons. Aaron was the, the chosen priesthood of God. He said, hey, look, through your sons, I'm going to bless the world. I'm going to bless the nation Israel, and they will be of the high priestly order. You have to be from the tribe of Aaron in order to be a high priest. Well, these were the priests of Israel. These were the firstborns of Aaron. And what did they do? They, they were known in Scripture, if you read Leviticus chapter 10, they're known in the Bible not for serving well, but for mistakes that they made that cost them their life. They were consumed by fire because God was so mad with the way that they were mistreating the sacrificial system of God that he decided, you know what, enough is enough. You guys should know better. Kaboom, they're gone. What about Solomon? Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, right? 
I mean, we know Solomon the wise, right? Solomon the wise. Solomon, the one who built God's temple. Why? Because David was a man of war. And so he said, we're going to wait until you have a son. Your son will build my temple. Those plans that you want to do, you can't do. Your son's going to do it. Solomon, everybody would say, that man loved God. Right? But what is the last thing that we're told of his life? 1 Kings chapter 11, it said, And Solomon began to worship the gods of his foreign wives and his concubines. And then it says in verse 4 specifically, His heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God like his dad before him, David had been. The last thing that Solomon is known for is wickedness, lighting incense for other gods. The last thing he's known for is a poor choice. And it says that he did evil in the sight of God. The man that built God's temple. What about King Saul? King Saul was God's first hand-picked king of Israel, wasn't he? The anointed of God. Anointed to the point where King David said, I will not harm a hair on his head, though he hate me and wants my head. Because he is God's chosen and anointed. Right? Well, what is he known for? He's known for trying to kill David because of pure jealousy that led to his ruining and insanity. The Corinthian church. They were known for drunkenness. They were known for pride. They were known for arguing to the point where Paul said, hey, I can't talk to you like mature people. I'm going to have to talk to you like babies. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. They had believers that were accepting fellowship. They were saying, you know what? We accept everybody, which is okay. God accepts everybody, right? But they had accepted into their fellowship as if it was totally okay and acceptable a man that was sleeping with his own stepmother. And they were saying, this is totally okay. It's fine. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. And he was bragging about it. And they're accepting that in the church. This is fine. Ananias and Sapphira. They'll be forever known, not as two people that had blessed God with an inheritance, that had blessed the apostles with extra funds that they had. They'll be forever known in Scripture as two people that lied to the apostles and lied, tried to lie to the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 13. The Cretans will forever be written in Scripture as liars, wicked, and lazy. Titus 1.12. But what about Peter? We all love to pick on Peter, right? Why? Because he wears peppermint socks, because he always sticks his foot in his mouth. Peter has a laundry list of, of, of different things that he had done, different mistakes he had made, right? When he should have been honoring Jesus, right? He sees Jesus transformed and transfigured before him in all his Shekinah, right? And what does he do? He says, 
Jesus, it's good that we're here. I'm going to build you an altar, and it's going to be great, and I'll build three. I'll build one for Elijah. I'll build one for Moses. This is going to be fantastic. We'll, we'll worship, and we'll burn some incense, and it's going to be... Jesus is like, shh, be quiet. Take this in. Right? Well, but Jesus... No, no, no. Calm down. I mean, Peter's known for just constantly messing up. He's known in the Bible for walking on water and then sinking because his faith failed. He's known for cutting a guy's ear off because he got upset that they were trying to arrest Jesus. Even though Jesus said, I'm going to be arrested, it's going to be okay because I have to suffer for the sins of the world. What does Peter do? He's like, no, what are you doing? Chop, right? He's known for denying Jesus three times. Peter became an apostate according to Scripture, denying the Christ, the Messiah, denying the man that he had followed for three and a half years. Luke twenty-two sixty-one. it says, hey, Jesus had said, when the cock crows three times, you would deny me even before that, before the morning. And you think that after Jesus had talked to him in John chapter 28 that they had restored and he says, hey, feed my lambs. And, and Peter comes back and Peter's a changed man. But no, we still mess up, right? All of us mess up. Even when we ask forgiveness, we constantly mess up. And what does he do? It says that he just begins, you know, he, he's just gung-ho about reaching people for Christ he goes out and he reaches Cornelius. Cornelius is, is able, you know, Jesus says, hey, look, what I call clean, don't you call dirty, Peter. And Peter's like, oh, Jesus, I'll never eat that stuff. Lobster, ew. Bacon, disgusting. And he's like, eat. Eat it. Eat it, Peter. And then Peter's like, I'm never turning back. This is amazing, right? Lobster bisque every night. Po' boy sandwiches. Woo! Right? They didn't have that back then, so don't quote me on that. But what does he do? Paul says that I had to rebuke. I had to go up and publicly say to Peter, you are wrong, Peter. Why? Because as soon as the people from Jerusalem came to the Greek states and saw Peter eating and dining with the Greeks, Peter said, oh, I don't know those people. I'm not going to do that. Galatians 2, 11 through 13. See, each of these had failures in their life. And every one of us will admit that we've had failures in our life, and probably multiple, right? And each, along with a myriad of others, we just hit a couple from the New Testament and the Old Testament, but each are known for failing. I mean, there's examples of kings sleeping with their... their, their Dead son's wife thinking she was a prostitute getting her pregnant. I mean, there's so many different examples in Scripture of people doing things wrong. But God loving them still. Because each one of these people that we just read about, Ananias and Sapphira, you know what? They're present with the Lord right now. Why? They believed in Jesus Christ for salvation. Peter, none of you would deny that he is in the presence of Jesus right now. Amen? Solomon, in the presence of the Lord, even though he burnt incense to other gods. 
All of us would look at them and say, you know what? Yes, they made mistakes, but they're in the presence of Jesus despite having a lapse in judgment, despite choosing the wrong path in the moment that they had in life. Right? Because every moment we have two decisions in life, don't we? Am I going to choose the right path, which is following Jesus, or am I going to choose fleshly desires in my own way? Each is known for trying things in their own foolish way. And it led to what? Pain. That's the reason why it's in Scripture, so we could see the consequences for poor choices and choosing the wrong way. It led to heartache. It led to consequences. And sometimes, yes, it even led to physical death like Ananias and Sapphira. They just fell down dead. Why? Because they lied to the Holy Spirit. In other words, they all took Frank Sinatra's advice. I did it my way, right? And our way isn't the best. Our way isn't the easiest. Or it is here on earth but it gives us pain and grief when we're in the presence of the Lord. The truth is, we have a minute-by-minute, day-by-day decision that we have to make in life. And the decision is this, is it going to be my desires or the Lord's desires? Is it going to be my choice that I want in this moment? I desire this. Or is it going to be, I desire to please the Lord with my life? Take a look at Proverbs chapter 3. In Proverbs chapter 3, we're confronted with a choice of right and wrong. We're confronted with two paths in life. Proverbs chapter 3. Looking at verses 5-7, through it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. You see, when you choose the path of self, you know what you're doing is you're leaning on your own heart, your own desire, and you're choosing your own understanding in life. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. He will show you the correct alignment for your destination in life is what He's saying. And do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You see, you have two choices in life. My way or God's way. The right way or the wrong way. His path or your path. Walk in His ways. Acknowledge Him in everything that you do. What it all is saying is go to His Word for direction, for guidance, for growth. Because His Word tells us how to manage life, finance, circumstance, work, family, friends. In this right here, in the Word of God, He's told us how to live the best life. It's not the easiest life. Let me let you know that but the best life. The life that is rewarding in Him. 
not a rewarding life of earthly desire. Because a lot of times, earthly desire goes against what God's heavenly desire is for your life. If you don't believe me, read Galatians chapter 5. It lets us know that we have the battle of flesh and the battle of the spirit that go against each other and wage war. But Jesus gives us a clear direction through His Word of how we can have a clear path and walk that clear path and grow in Him if we would only follow His direction in life. Luke 9.23 says, And He was saying to them all, If any one wishes to come after Me, if anyone wishes to follow Me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. If you want to walk the path of Christ, it means putting to death your own desires. It means putting to death the other path and acting like it doesn't even exist. It means saying, I'm choosing to follow the path of Christ, which is love God and love people above all else. Jesus said, hey, look, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to serve God and serve people. It's not serving yourself, which is the other path. Jesus calls his disciples in, this, in a simple one-liner, follow me. And we see it repeatedly over and over through Scripture in the Gospels. It's a direct call for people, for believers, to enter into an intimate relationship with Christ in following in His footsteps as disciples, as learners, for growth and change in relationship. It's not a call for salvation. When Jesus says, follow me, He's not saying, hey, I want you to have salvation. No, He's saying, I want you to learn from me. Let me be your rabbi. Let me take you under my wing and show you how it's done. Show you how to live an abundant life. It's not an easy life, but it's a full life. Why? Because it is pleasing to God and brings glory to Him. Isn't that what Matthew chapter 5 lets us know? That we're to be a city on a hill and a light shining for everyone to see rather than hiding our light under a basket. Why? Because people will see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, that is an abundant life. And it comes with an abundant reward. Jesus said in Revelation 21, I'm coming quickly. And guess what? My reward is coming with me. That's an abundant life. It's not an easy life. And these men, when they heard that call to follow, they abandoned all. They forsook all. They just rejected all and they followed. It was a path that was hard to choose. It was a path that their their own family probably didn't want them to choose. But they did it. They rejected others' opinions. They rejected desires. They rejected calls and ties to life. And they literally followed the path of Jesus. They followed in the tracks of Jesus. Think about that. Following in the footsteps of Jesus. Being past the figs 
and the olives from the hand of Jesus as he's teaching you on the mountainside how to live for him. Follow him and he sets your path straight. He makes it straight and free from distractions. It's a choice like Peter. Am I going to take out my sword and make my own desire happen right now? Because his desire was that Jesus was going to come and being the conquering king, right? He was a zealot. That's what scripture says. He was Peter the zealot. And then you had Judas Iscariot. He was a Sicari. He was, he was one of the radicals. Right? And they wanted Jesus to fit what they wanted him to fit. And so Peter pulls out his sword and he chops off a man's ear. He chose the wrong path in that moment. It's a choice. Turn the other cheek and follow Jesus or take out your sword and strike vengefully. It's a choice. Both paths lead to the same place. We wouldn't say Peter's in hell because he chopped off somebody's ear, would we? It's just one has more pains, one has more distractions, one has more problems, one has more issues to deal with. Two paths, two choices, two ways, the same destination. God's way or our way? I remember as a kid, my parents had a white Ford Astro van, and I know I've shared about this car before, it's just things leave impressions on you in life. And this car was so junky, it left an amazing impression on me. Now we had a good van. We had this, this Mazda MPV minivan that my parents had bought just before Hurricane Andrew. They bought it straight cash. My dad worked so hard to buy my mom a new car because we used to have this big old giant Chevy Impala that all eight of us would pile in, and I know illegally, even though my parents swear that we were all legally in there, I know illegally me and my brother were sitting on people's laps, okay? And I just, I just remember that my mom was like in tears as my dad bought this, Chevy, this, this beautiful Mazda MPV minivan. We all piled into it, and it was so cool because this thing had power windows and locks. You know, it was like the, the latest feature. Still had the tape player, at least it didn't have an 8-track like the Impala. All right? We had one 8-track that my sister bought, and it was Purple Rain. And we listened to that all the time, it was so annoying. Okay? And so, I, I just, we were all just, we ran and we got into the van, it was so exciting. And we had it for about three months, and it was the greatest van I remember there's a hurricane coming, and it's called Hurricane Andrew. And all us kids were like excited. We were like, oh, we hope it hits because we don't want to go back to school. Right? And my parents were freaking out. We're pulling off wood from our fences, and we're nailing it to the, to the windows, and my dad's freaking out. I mean, we lived in Michigan. We used to live in Michigan. You don't have hurricanes in Michigan. The worst that you could have is a roof collapse because so much snow. And so we didn't know how to prepare. My, so my dad, he, he's like, oh, I got an idea. that We got a lot of trees on the left side of the house. I'm going to go ahead and I'm gonna move the, the, my truck there because if, if the truck gets damaged, it's okay. We'll move the, the van. We'll move it to the right side of the house where there's less trees and less things to fall on it. 
My dad, he, he maneuvered it and everything of that nature, and, and we had that van nice, safe, and protected because my dad paid cash, so all he had to do was have PIP. And what do you guys think happened? Yeah. Hurricane came, and a tree, our neighbor's tree, even though there was no trees around in our yard at all, the giant neighbor tree came and smashed that MPV into a little tiny pancake. And all my parents could afford to buy after that was this beat-up old Ford Astrovan that had the driver's door wouldn't unlock and wouldn't open. The windows couldn't come down. Only the back windows, you could slide them open. The CD player, which it had one put in, it didn't work because whoever had done it had rigged it. Uh, there was a blue bumper in the front, a black bumper in the back, and there was dents and things all over it. It was cream-colored, beautiful. It had a governor in it, so you couldn't go above 70. And it was just one of the wildest things. So I remember as a kid, all of us hated that van because that was what we learned to drive in. And I remember when it was my turn, and I'm driving it around, and all of a sudden I, I'm, I'm going at about 45, and the thing starts shaking wildly. And I'm like, what is going on? And I'm freaking out because I'm trying to get to work. So I get to work, and this was before cell phones, believe it or not. This was, you know, you had a beeper, and then everybody texted you 911, even though it was an emergency. And so I get to, I get to, to work, and I, I call my dad. I'm like, the, the van, it's shaking. It, I don't know what's going on. And so he said, oh, I'll come pick it up. I'll leave you my truck, and then, you know, I'll, I'll see what's going on. And and so I drove the truck home, and, and my dad had driven the, the van home, and he said, yeah, it, it shook. About 45 to 50, it just starts shaking like crazy. I think the alignment's off. I'm going to take it to the mechanic. We took it to the mechanic. The guy did the alignment. Bing, bang, boom. We're good. I'm driving it to school. Yeah, it was the chick magnet, of course, that nasty beat-up truck, right? Yeah, no one wanted to ride in my car. But anyways, I'm driving it, and about two weeks later, it starts to happen again. But even worse, where now, in order to drive straight, you had to turn the, the steering wheel about three-quarters of the way to drive straight. And so I'm wondering what's going on, and I tell my dad, there's something going on with this thing, so he takes it to a second mechanic, because he thinks maybe this mechanic messed it up, and he takes it to a second mechanic. The second mechanic says, hey, look, I could fix this temporarily, but really you have to take it to a, a, a guy that's a master um, alignment expert. And so the guy actually on his card said master alignment. So he took it to this guy, and apparently with trucks vans and SUVs, there's two places that you have to align a vehicle. Not like a regular car where you have one alignment location and then you're good. This you have to do two. And if you only do the one, it'll get off eventually again. And so in this, he had to align both positions. And of course, you took it to the master. And when you had the right alignment, it was perfect in driving straight. You had to take it to the right person that had the tools, the knowledge, and the ability to make the van drive straight, as only a master would. 
And what's true for cars and vans and SUVs is true for life. We need the hand of the master on us to straighten our alignment. Amen? We can't go to people that don't know better. We can't depend on ourselves. And that's what Scripture tells us. Don't lean on your own understanding. Because you're going to get off. You're going to veer off. Maybe you will choose the path right for a little while, but you're going to veer off. Choose the path of the Master. Amen? Why? Because He won't take you off into ditches in life. We want to succeed in where we're going. We want an abundant life, don't we? And it takes being aligned with Jesus. That's why the Sermon on the Mount, He's teaching His disciples how to line themselves right with Him. He says, hey look, let me teach you how to line yourself right in prayer. Let me teach you how to truly align yourself with God when it comes to fasting. You see, there's some people, they, they choose the wrong lining. And they're, and they're choosing to do this in fasting. But you should do it this way. This is the right way. Yeah, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but that's the wrong path. That's the wrong alignment. You need to choose this alignment. He's telling them how to get right in their attitude and character. He's telling us how to do the same if we want to follow Him. Get the right alignment so your path is clear and you're making the right choices in life. Amen? And this is the same thoughts that Jesus is calling when He calls and He speaks to everyone that answers the call to follow Make the right choice in your path. Are you going to choose me? Are you going to choose the world? Are you going to choose your own desire or the will of God? Matthew chapter 7, take a look with me. This is our main idea for this. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says this, Enter through the narrow gate, For the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to to life, and there are few who find it. You see, many times when we're confronted with this passage, we automatically jump to it's a salvific or about salvation. Jesus is offering salvation. But as we look at the context, we got to go back to the context of this passage. Is Jesus jumping from one group of people to another group of people, or is he still speaking to the same people? No, he's still speaking to the disciples of Matthew 5, 1 and 2, where it says he sat his disciples down and began to teach them on a mountainside. His disciples are saved. They've already chosen to follow Jesus. So he's not offering salvation. He's speaking to his disciples. Jesus says the road is limited. The road is is narrow. And not many people find this road. But there's a wide road that lots of people are on. Lots of people choose the wide road. Right? And that kind of goes against the offer of God, isn't it? I mean, we're confronted with passages like 1 Peter chapter 3 where it says that God wishes for none to perish but all to come to an understanding of salvation, right? And then you read passages like John 3.16 which says, for God so loved the world. Not just you. The world. And so, it, it 
contradicts a narrow path for salvation, doesn't it? Because God wants all to be saved and God provides the way for all to be saved. It contradicts the idea that the way to salvation is narrow. No, because Jesus died for everyone. 1 John lets us know that Christ is the atonement for everyone's sins, for the believer and for those who are unbelievers. That's 1 John chapter 2. The third thing is that this the salvation is, is open to all, not narrow, but the, and, and, and there's two destinations that lead to the same place. Let's just think about it that way too. The third thing is this, the very nature of the teaching, right? Let's think about that. The very nature of this teaching. He's saying there's two gates, two entrances. Well, if there's two entrances, that means that you're going to the same place, right? How many of you guys have a front door and a back door? Some of you guys don't. That's fine. You don't have to have a back door. It's okay. I refuse to have a back door. My kids will jump out the window if they're going to go swimming. Uh It's up to you. That's fine. Block off that back door. Don't want anybody intruding through the back door. Right? No, we have a front door. We have a back door. Do both doors lead to your house? Yeah. Now, usually if somebody's coming in through the back door, that means that they're an intruder. Or they're your kids barging in or something like that. The main entrance is going to be your front door. That's where you put the pretty flowers. You might have the roses and the welcome sign, right? You have the little foot duster and, you know, the welcome mat. For pe- Wipe your feet, right? And that's a similar thing in this passage. You have two gates. A narrow and a wide. Two paths leading to the same city. The passage makes sense if the choices of the path here is a choice of discipleship and a choice of your own decisions in life. One will lead to destruction and hurt in your own life and the other one leads to a life that's abundant in Jesus Christ and relationship, right? One is your own choices and own devices, and the other is God's choice for your life. The way of love, the way of loving God, and the way of loving people, which is a hard way to go. It's narrow. Not many people choose that way. I mean, think about it in your own life. We're all here. We're all made the decision to wake up and come here today. How hard was that decision? For some of us, it was hard. For some of us, there was plenty of distractions. For some of us, it was just painstaking to wake up this morning and come. Now, I'm not talking about me, so don't everybody always be, oh man, pastor's really just, woo. But for some people, it's hard to come to church, but you made the right choice to be in the fellowship of believers. And think of every choice we have in life, how sometimes it takes a little to give a little, doesn't it? And that's what Jesus said. He said in Luke 9.23 that it will be a choice to die to yourself and selfish desires to live in Him. And He's not talking about salvation there. He's talking about a choice of discipleship just like here. The gate of, of my way is what Jesus is saying, or the gate of your way. The gate of following Jesus or the gate of following yourself and fleshly desires. 
And many people believe that there isn't going to be hurt in choosing your own way, but there is. You still have to suffer consequences. The narrow gate is what a lot of people think is the needle gate that Jesus is speaking of in Matthew 19. If you have your Bibles, go to Matthew 19, verse 24. Matthew 19, starting in verses 23, and we'll go down to 26. And Jesus said to his disciples, again, who is he speaking to? It's important that we note these things. Are his disciples saved? Yes. That's why they're following him. They, Peter said, who else knows the words of life? Who else are we going to follow, Jesus? Right? He says, truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard this, they were astonished. And they said, then who can be saved? See, even they were confused. They're like, oh my gosh, rich people can't go to heaven? And looking at them, he said, with people, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Jesus isn't saying that rich people can't be saved. He's not saying that Donald Trump and Bill Gates and all those rich people, billionaires out there can't be saved. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about growth, sanctification, salvation, um, sanctification aspect of salvation, or cleansing of a lifestyle. Cities, especially Jerusalem, had a main entrance that faced a nicely paved Roman's road. The Romans, every time they would conquer a city, they would pave the roads to it. Why? Because they wanted their soldiers to have easy access. They wanted commerce to be nice and smooth. They wanted everything to be matched to Rome. And so Jerusalem, their main city entrance gate, had a beautifully paved path. The gates were nice and open. They had two big gates. In fact, they were so big, it was, it was said, and, and it's not been proven fact or fiction yet, that when Titus went in and destroyed, that he actually, to intimidate the, the, the Israelites, that he marched an elephant through the city gates to completely frighten them. That's how wide the city gates, the main entrance was. But there are other gates too. In fact, in Jesus' day, there were between 8 to 12 gates in Jerusalem. 8 to 12. There are the Golden Gates. There are the Al-Baruch Gate or the Funeral Gate. There was the Sheep Gate. There was the Water Gate for cleansing. There was the Dung Gate for taking out your waste because you didn't want to go you know, walking your feces through the main entrance because then everybody's going to see that and smell it, right? That's gross. So you'd go through a separate gate for that. There's all these different gates and on and on and on. And the main gate was this beautiful, huge, beautifully paved, nice rows of you know, fig trees and, th and palm trees and everything. The other gates were bottle brush. There were rocks. There were beaten paths. But you know what was also on the main gate? Let's think about it. The side gates were these tiny little gates, right? They're single gates 
They're just side gates. People in the city knew how to get through them, weave in and out. The main gate, if you're a shopkeeper, where would you put your shop? On the side gate where not many people go? No, you'd go right on the main gate, right? If you're a hotel, you would be right on the main gate. If you're a merchant, you would be right on the main gate. If you were, yes, a prostitute, you would be right on the main gate. If you were a thief looking for somebody to swindle, you would be right at the main gate. So all of the distractions in life were at the main gate. On the side gates, those single gates, those tiny gates, you wouldn't have that. You wouldn't have the distractions in life. In fact, the big gate, they always had Roman guards out. The Romans would, would make sure that there wasn't attacking hordes coming through the main gates. They would check to make sure that people were coming through and paying taxes adequately on the goods that they were bringing into the city. On the side gates, they didn't put the Roman guards because people couldn't bring their camels and their donkeys in with their goods and wares because it was big enough, the gate was big enough for just somebody to walk through and maybe a single donkey without the side saddlebags. If you're trying to sneak your goods in through the side gates, you would have to unpack everything and leave it out exposed outside of the city walls, outside of your own view. Unpack everything. Leave it in the middle of the street. Bring it all in. Bring your donkeys in. Bring your servants in. And then repack everything once you got back into the city. And it was not worth the effort of doing all that. Why? Because... Everything's exposed out in the open. It could have been stolen. And that's why Jesus says here that it's easier for threading the needle than to the enter into the kingdom of God. And what he's saying is, if a donkey is going to be unpacked, so that's what they called it, threading the needle, a donkey or a camel being walked in through the, a single gate. And I have a picture of it coming up. Oh, that's the, that's the wares of the main city gate. You see how big the gate is? That's way back in there. And that's all of the merchants on the side of the main entrance of Jerusalem today. That's today. Just like it was hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. But I have a picture that's coming up really soon of a, a camel threading the eye of a needle. Walking through a single gate. It's extremely hard to do. Why? Because only a single man can fit through it. And the camel has to dip down and get almost completely on its knees to enter in. And what Jesus is saying is when he says it's easier for a camel to thread the eye of a needle, he's saying it's easier for a camel to walk in a tight space than for somebody to abandon all their worldly goods and follow him. A rich man doesn't want to abandon everything. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about the path of discipleship. In Matthew chapter 16, let's go a couple chapters over. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 27, he says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, who is he speaking to? His disciples. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? 
For the Son of Man is going to come in His glory and His Father with His angels and will then repay every man according to His deeds. Because the reward is coming quickly, isn't it? Whoever chooses the path for Jesus or whoever chooses the path of love and money over discipleship. That's what is being talked about. The word soul here is the word sukes, meaning spirit. It's literally talking about your, your personality. Are you willing to give up who you are, your personality, because you love money? Lots of people are willing to do that. He goes, what, what is it worth if you give up who you are because you love money? And you forfeit that in Christ. Yeah, you gain the whole world, but you've just lost your identity. You've just lost who you are in Christ. Not salvation. The word for soul, which a lot of people take this to mean soul, is the the word pneuma. And that's talking about the thing that lasts forever. Your eternal soul. He uses the word sukes. Your personality. It's just like in Matthew 7.13. The word destruction is not hell or judgment. It's the word apollyon, meaning loss. Entering the gate that is wide brings loss. Why? Because you're walking through all the paths that are distraction on the side. And if you get distracted off the path of love, grace, and mercy of Jesus Christ, it leads to hurt. It leads to that destruction. It leads to consequences of pain. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become evident for the day will show it because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. And if anyone's work which is not built on remains, he will receive a reward. It's not talking about a judgment in hell. It's talking about a judgment of reward. Same thing in Matthew chapter 16. Same idea. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved. Yet only as if through fire. You see, the reason is the main gate always is the easier path. It's the distracting path, though. It's a path that has the world's distractions littered on each side. You would need to unpack all your goods, all your worldly desires, to go one of the narrow paths and leave them outside of God's city. And the one that enters in is you. Why? Because you're following the path unwalked. You're abandoning all other things to follow Jesus. If anyone wishes to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. It's the path less chosen. Why? Because people here on earth, and, and look, I understand it, it's, it's easy to choose 
to live for self and live for world, even though you're a Christian. Why? Because a lot of times we think, you know what? I want, I want the joys of this world. I want the pleasures of this world. I, I want to live for today. But Jesus is calling us to an abundant life in Him. An abundant life that has reward, not here, not just here, because you have the reward of growing in your relationship. It has the reward of the future. Matthew chapter 6 says a disciple should seek the things above, not the things of this earth, where thieves break in and steal. When Jesus says take the narrow road in Matthew 7, He's not saying take the road that leads to heaven. Why? Because all the roads are leading to the same place. He's saying take the road that is discipleship. Take the narrow, rough, less trodden one. And abandon your worldly goods and your dependence on them. You shed the caravan. You shed the weight of sin. You shed the weight of distractions and emptiness that's leading to destruction and hurt. And yeah, you're entering another gate that leads to the city, but you're entering in the way of Christ. You're there. And you're following Him. The other road, it's one that's a wasted time distraction where the disciples' road is focus. Avoid pain by taking the path of Jesus. The path of discipleship. The narrow way is entrance into discipleship. Discipleship is costly, brothers and sisters. That's why it's considered a narrow way. Now, if you don't believe me, consider the words of Jesus. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, He says, If you wish to follow Me, you must hate your life and your family, your brothers and your sisters. Now a lot of times, all of we kind of think that Jesus is literally saying hate people. That's not what it's saying. He's saying your love for Him should be so much where people look at the way you love your family and they're like, whoa, wow, that's unbalanced. In Luke 9.23, he's saying that it's a life of self-denial. In Luke 18.28, the disciples say that they left their home, they left their families, they left their work, they left all, they abandoned it all, and they followed Jesus. In Luke 14.27, he says that if you're going to follow Him, you have to deal with pain, humiliation, sin, suffering, and you're going to have to deal with not living out in the most abundant lifestyle. In Luke 10 to 16, he says you'll have to deal with rejection and persecution and prejudice for following him. Following Jesus is a road that is narrow and not many people choose it. Why? Because it is hurtful. It's a squeezing road. You get pressed. In fact, those are the words that are used to describe it. It's like what the words that were used for pressing wine... Uh, the, the grapes for wine or pressing the olives. He said, you're going to be pressed in this narrow, the word narrow, the pressed road. Brothers and sisters, the words that Jesus spoke are the same words that he gave to Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 30. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 and 16, if you have your Bibles, go there with me real quick as we wrap up our thoughts. 
He says, see, I have chosen and set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. You see the two roads that are there? Life and prosperity and death and adversity. In that I command you this day to love your God, the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God may bless you in the land as you possess it. And the second warning is if you go ahead and go towards life distractions, towards other gods or anything like that, you will suffer loss, but you'll still be in the promised land. You're already in the land. Make the right choice. John 6.47 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Every one of us has eternal life. So now we have to make the right choice with that life. That's the same choice that the Israelites had to make. You're in the land. Make the right choice as you're in there. Brothers and sisters, you're in eternal life right now. Make the right choice. Are you living your life to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant? Do you want your life to count? Do you want every moment to be a moment that can be lived to the glory of your Father above so people might see your good works and glorify Him? Then choose the right path. Yes, it's narrow. Yes, it's less traveled. but it brings an abundant life, an abundant reward Amen? Amen. Thank you for joining the Transform 365 podcast, a ministry dedicated to helping you grow in relationship to Christ. If you want to know more, find us at transform365.com or on our church website, www.swcc.org, located in Miami, Florida. Until next time, remember... The only work in grace is to let grace work in you. God bless.